Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 535. Get, get out there and drive. Uh, I find that it is actually a cure for a lot, of, a lot that ails me if I need to clear my head. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. I'll never worry again about having a dead battery with my NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in my glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that'll jumpstart a dead battery in my car, boat, truck, or RV. The Genius Boost features built-in spark-proof technology and reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart any of my vehicles. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are built from solid copper for maximum conductivity. There's a built-in ultrabite dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS and emergency strobe. I use my Genius Boost Jump Starter to charge my phone, tablet, and laptop while I'm on the road or if the power goes out in my home. The unit itself is easily rechargeable in my vehicle. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, the battery car source since 1914. I've got one in each of my vehicles. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Lawrence Yap. Lawrence, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I certainly am, Mark. All right. Great to have you here. Lawrence Yap is the Director of Marketing at FAF Automotive Partners, a multiple mark dealership in Ontario, Canada. FAF Motors sells McLaren, Porsche, Audi, Volkswagen, BMW, Pagani, Singer Vehicle Designs, that's cool, and Toyota, along with specialty tuning and auto work services. Lawrence has written freelance for newspapers and worked for six years at Porsche as a public relations manager and director of marketing. He's also worked at RM Auctions as their director of marketing as well. Lawrence, I've told our listeners just a tiny bit about you. Would you take a moment and share a little bit more about your career and, of course, your passion? for automobiles? Well, I think the most interesting thing about my career, Mark, is that it has nothing to do with what I studied in school. (laughs) Um, I have a degree in writing fiction, which maybe you could argue is entirely appropriate for life in automotive marketing. It could be, Uh, yeah. (laughs) I, uh, I have zero mechanical inclination. I can't turn a wrench to save my life. Uh, I nearly <laughs> lost uh, a hand trying to change a flat tire once. Oh, ouch. <laughs> when the car fell off the jack. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm, that can be dangerous. Yeah, so uh but I but despite all of that, I've kind of had a passion for cars my entire life. My family uh back in the Philippines has a string of uh, car parts stores, uh, and my dad, uh, when we moved over to Canada, uh, you know, he still is uh, a huge, huge car guy. So, yeah. you know, it, that, that's where that sort of passion came from. And while I was studying and taking this degree in writing fiction, I actually picked up a job writing about cars for uh, the local newspaper, and I sort of managed to accidentally combine. Uh, my love of words and telling a story with, uh, you know, a real interest in cars. So Perfect. I think I'm kind of a textbook example of somebody that 
has really kind of followed their interests and their passions uh, kind of blindly uh, and has just sort of had to figure it out along the way. Sure. Well, a lot of us have to figure it out along the way. And these days there's so many new things to do with the internet and a way to reach out and communicate with people. And having a, a strong writing skill is really a key to a lot of it because communication is the key to everything. And I love having people like you on the show who have found a way to wrap their passion for cars into their vocation, even if you're degree was in something maybe that you never thought would tie back. But I've had a lot of journalists on the show, a lot of journalists mm-hmm. on the show, writers, authors, who have figured out how to do just what you have. So you're in good company. As we continue on your journey, I always like to start with a success quote. This is some kind of saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success. You're a writer, so I'm kind of expecting something good from you here. Well, it's, <laughs> it's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars Jazz. Yeah. So Lawrence, take the wheel. Well, you're, you're not, you're not going to get something, uh, something overly profound. You know, as, as we, as we'll talk later, uh, a lot of the stuff that sort of happened in my professional career has happened by accident. You know, I've kind of bounced around the industry, uh, and from, from car to car for that matter, because, you know, my interests have kind of taken that path. Um, but if I was to tie it kind of back to every, any, anything, I've never had any kind of major, master plan for where I want to be professionally or what I want to be doing. And I would attribute the fact that it's all kind of worked out as well as it has to taking care of today, you know, essentially will enable tomorrow to take care of itself. Okay. Uh, You know, I, I don't believe in planning too far ahead. The car industry especially changes very quickly. But, you know, by doing a good job at whatever it is you're supposed to be doing right now, it sets you up for for good things to happen later. Uh, And I've always trusted that, you know, my enthusiasm and, and maybe a little bit of work ethic as well will take care of the rest. You're one of those guys that I envy in a sense because I've always been a master planner and I've always wished I could kind of loosen up a little bit and not worry so much about what's happening the next minute, the next hour, the next day, the next month. Oh, I worry. (laughs) So maybe you can teach me a little something today and uh, help me along as well. I think so. Let's talk about your passion for cars. I'd like to go back and ask you to talk about what instigated your passion for cars? Talk about that pivotal moment in your life when you realize that, uh-oh, I'm a car guy. Well, you know, I'm not sure that there is one particular pivotal moment. Uh, like I said, you know, I kind of grew up in a family that was very into cars already. On the mom's, my mom's side of uh, the family, uh, her three brothers owned a string of auto parts stores uh, back in the Philippines. So cars were always kind of important to us anyway. And my dad was very much into cars. I can remember when we moved to Canada back in 1980, going to the car show with him. And, you know, he was back then he was lusting after BMW 320i's. uh, And I really, really wanted a Ford Bronco. And, (laughs) you know, it all kind of started back then. And so really, it's more, I think, a matter of Cars always having been present in my life, and I'd always been interested in them as much as kind of design objects, kind of visual stimulation as much as anything else. And, you know, ultimately, I sort of came to realize that, well, if I, if I like these things so much, you know, maybe I can, maybe I can do some work around them. If there was one, you know, it's funny because 
now I, I am kind of one of these stereotypical old Porsche guys. I do remember very clearly our family going up on a fishing trip back in 1989 to a place just north of Toronto called Lake Stugog. And we were in our family station wagon sitting at a stop sign behind what was then a brand new 911 Carrera 4. This was the 964 generation, the first one that had the wing that came up automatically. Oh, yes, I had one of those. At 55 miles an hour. And it was bright red. And at the time, I didn't know that where we were was actually very close to uh, what's now known as Canadian Tire Motorsport Park, but well, which back then was called Mosport. Mm-hmm. And this thing just tore away from the stop sign. And, you know, that little wing came up and I was like, oh, I got to have one of those. <laughs> <when I> grow <laughs> up. <laughs> and it took 25 years, but, you know, I finally got around to, to getting one. And, and so, you know, in terms of is there a moment that that, that would probably be the moment. Yeah, sounds like it. I had a 964-91C2. Drove it oh. every day. I was living in San Diego as my daily driver. And when we moved up here to the Pacific Northwest, I brought it with me and drove it to work every day in the rain. And yeah, yeah. it was always cool cars. So it was always fun to push that little button and watch the tail come up if you're sitting in a light and watch the right. mirror and the people in the car <laughs> behind you all point. You know? It's like, oh, look at that. Yeah. So Lawrence, I would love to take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and talk about a a huge failure or a big challenge that you faced in your career. We've all come up against these things that challenge us. But the most important part of this is how did you overcome your challenge, your failure, and what did it teach you? Well, I, can I tell a story about a car crash? Oh, yeah, that, that's that's a challenge. That could be a failure in driving ability or something happened. It's it's a good one. And, and this came from back when I was a journalist. Uh, it was 2007. And somehow uh, I developed a good relationship with the PR team at Porsche uh, because I happened to like their cars. So it was uh, early 2007 and I got a phone call from uh, the late Bob Carlson, who was Porsche's PR manager at the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, He passed away in 2008. And he, you know, Bob in sort of typical Bob fashion was on the other end of the phone and he said, how would you like to go to Siberia? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and I said, uh, uh, yes, Bob, I would love to go to Siberia. Are you coming too? And he said, no, 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 I, I, you know, I'm not going to be doing this, but I think that you'd get a kick out of it. And it ended up being something called the Trans-Siberia Rally. Uh, this was a race that was run between 2005 and I believe the last one that they did was in 2009. Mm-hmm. And it was organized by a group of crazy Germans. In 2006... An engineer that worked on the Cayenne actually ended up winning it uh, in a production Cayenne, and the Porsche factory kind of looked looked at this thing and said, "Oh, look! It's like a you know, it's a fourteen day uh, off road rally running from Red Square in Moscow to the middle of Mongolia. This might be kind of a an interesting way to give the Cayenne a bit of a motorsport pedigree." Mm. Uh, and the original plan was that they would enter. I think they ended up entering about 20 cars in this thing, and it was a big field. It was 30-something cars. And the original plan was that every car would be driven by a professional driver and would have an auto journalist or some kind of journalist as the co-driver. So uh, for some reason, maybe because we would be sleeping in tents and sharing accommodations in some pretty uh, nasty you know, ex-Soviet uh, um, camps, uh, a lot of the journalists ended up 
not participating. <laughs> yeah. I ended up going because I thought it would be awesome. Uh, my driver was a guy named Kaze Mirov, who's also a Canadian. Uh, he drove for the Porsche factory at Le Mans in 1986. He drove the 961, which is kind of the race car version of the 959. Uh, and we're still really, really good friends. But on the second last day of the rally, we were driving through uh, the Gobi Desert uh, in Mongolia. It was kind of late in the day, and I had my head down in my uh, – it, it wasn't even really a road book because you were navigating cross-country. There, no, there was no road to follow as such. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, here I am with my GPS and saying, we need to go this way, we need to go that way, referring to my pace notes – and we essentially drove off of what looked like a very gentle kind of hill, but ended up being a bit of a cliff. Oh. And we rolled our Cayenne, I think it seems like four times, kind of end over end. The uh, The engine landed about uh, 100 feet away from the rest of the wreckage. Oh, our my gosh. Stuff. Serious crash. Oh, yeah. Our stuff was strewn all over the desert. Uh Luckily, you know, we were we were very well prepared. We had six point harnesses and helmets and and a roll cage in this thing. But you know, this car was a complete write off, and here we were in the middle of the Gobi Desert, wow, with kind of nothing around us, right? Yeah. Uh, so it took a while, but there was obviously because this was an organized thing, there was an emergency crew that that eventually came came to get us. Mm-hmm. But we were, you know, very far. We were a couple of days away from anything, but. You know, ultimately, we kind of made it back to civilization through hitching rides in uh, Soviet-era off-road vans, and uh, we had we ended up riding in the back of one of these vans for 14 hours into the next town. Oh gosh, <laughs> uh, which was worse than the crash, honestly. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it strapped down, and we were both kind of dazed, and um, but we made it back, and. A year after, I probably would have said, oh, yeah, it's nothing. But the more that I think about it, the more that I think that actually kind of changed my approach to things because you go, well, okay, if you could, you know, if things can get that bad and, you know, you can eventually, you know, with some teamwork kind of find your way back, well, you know. I can do anything. <laughs> you can kind of do anything, right? Yeah. <laughs> it probably made me willing to take more risks than I otherwise, you know, would have taken. Right. And ironically enough, a year after that incident, Porsche ended up hiring me, despite the fact that we rode off this two hundred thousand euro rally car in the middle. Well, you were you were the Jenks to the Sterling Moss. Yes. Yeah, you were the the head down navigator, but uh, oh my gosh, what a crazy ride. Jeez. Well, yeah. I like that you came out of it with the attitude of a can-do. I can do anything if I survive that because that is the way to come out of a, a situation that, yeah, very well could have been much more serious in many ways. Thank goodness for all the safety equipment you had in that oh, vehicle. Yeah, yeah, you weren't in a stock car. Well, let's shift gears here, Lawrence, and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share what I like to call a career aha moment. Tell us the steps that you took to turn that aha moment into a success. There are probably two moments where I would say that that have been kind of pivotal. One was I was actually in high school. Before I got to university and before I decided I wanted to be a writer, graphic design was my other passion. And I was working a co-op job in grade 11 as a graphic designer at this little 
this little ad agency. It was Chinese language. They did Chinese language stuff. I couldn't really speak Chinese, but they were close to home and they needed, they needed somebody to do some work. And I had the skills with Photoshop and with uh, Illustrator. And back then it was Quark Express. I remember Quark. Yep. Absolutely. So I was working there kind of on a co-op term and we ended up handling some uh, design work and scanning and layout stuff for a Chinese language car magazine. And I got to know the editor of the magazine because he would come in once a week and we would sit down and go through all of his pictures and scan them and lay out pages in front of him. I thought, oh, you know, there's a moment where I go, here's a guy that's actually making a living at this. <laughs> yeah, surprise. He wasn't making much of a living. And in Canada, it's very tough to make a living as, a, as an auto journalist full time. But it was actually, you know, here was somebody that, that had a passion for cars. He loved driving. He was... You know, he really enjoyed and was fascinated by the industry, and he had turned it into a vocation. So that was kind of an important aha moment. Oh, most definitely. Yeah, absolutely. It's wonderful when you realize that something you have a passion for, oh, there's people that get paid to do that. Yeah. (laughs) That's pretty cool. And yeah, I had a similar moment way back in my life as well. When all of a sudden I went, you mean people would pay me to do that? Whoa, that's kind of a cool deal. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit about a proudest career moment. I would assume you've had many, but is there one that stands out for you? Yeah, th- there is one, and it's it's funny because it's something that maybe you know I wouldn't maybe isn't an obvious proudest moment. We have something up here in Canada called the Porsche GT3 Cup Challenge, and it's you know the U.S. has one as well that is very well subscribed. They have thirty cars show up on a weekend, and mm-hmm. it's a one make racing series where you know you buy a 911 race car from the factory, and IMSA sanctions it and organizes the events. And when I first started working at Porsche in 2008, you know a year after the big crash, my first sort of aha moment at that job was well, we're not really doing any racing up here. It took three years to figure out how to make it happen, but we actually started a one-make racing series in Canada in 2011. In 2011, it was kind of like, it was a little sketchy because we had five cars on the first starting grid. It was a very, very small series. We had three weekends, but after a year, you know, it was attracting 15 or 20 cars every weekend. We'd gone to five weekends. We were at Formula One as a support race. And so that, you know, if I could put my hand on anything saying, you know, that's the proudest thing, that's the thing I'm the most proud of, uh, that would be it. Uh, It's interesting (laughs) because for the three years that I worked on it, it was a constant challenge. We had very little budget to support it. Obviously, the costs of running these race cars is very, very high. Mm. And Canada, you know, we have a population a tenth of the size of the U.S. Our taxes are twice what you guys pay. And so if you were to do the math, you know, our starting grids really should be about three cars. So, you know, the fact that we we had... 15 or so on the one hand was a lot less than what we wanted and even now continues to be. Uh, but on the other hand, you go, well, you know, it's, it's now in its fifth year. And now I'm on the other side where the company I'm working for is competing in this. So it, that's, that's really cool. Very uh, and cool. I, I love the fact that I'm still involved with it, even though I'm on the other side of things. Yeah, very nice. Congratulations. Awesome. Well, let's have a little bit of fun here. What was your first really special car and 
Maybe you could share a memory you have with that vehicle. Well, I, my first really special car was didn't even have a motor. <laughs> okay. When I was about three, my parents bought me a fire truck pedal car. It had a horrible, distorted plastic body. <laughs> you know, it was difficult to get in and out of. But I have, you know, very fond memories of kind of riding that thing all over the neighborhood. <laughs> and long after I grew out of it, I can remember that thing kicking around the family home until well into my 20s. Wow. Uh, it was always this sort of uh, important kind of memory machine. Yeah, for for where all of this started. Well, you're the first one to ever answer that question with a pedal car. So <laughs> you win the, the prize there. When I was little, my uncle gave me, I think it was two, a Garten Cadillac. Now, this would have okay. been 1959. So way before your time, but it was all metal back then, Garten, which, of course, now they're all collectibles. I wish my mom hadn't mm -hmm. given away. I know, Mom, you heard it a million times. Why'd <laughs> you give away my Cadillac? But, uh, yeah, it was yellow. I've still got a picture of it. And so uh, I guess I could say that's my first special car, too. But nice answer. My first real car, I, you know, you never forget your first real car. Right. And it was also red. It was a it was a Mazda Miata. It was a base model. Oh, nice! Had the steel, oh, nice. It had the steel wheels. It had no power steering. It had no radio. It was kind of a hand me down that I I purchased off of someone, and you know I drove it through the winter, and I just had a blast in it. And if I had to buy a new car today, you know, using the money that I actually have, I probably probably would end up with another Miata. Yeah, they're, they're just so much fun. Yeah, those first-generation Miatas are really cool little cars. I worked at an agency, graphic design agency, where one of our creative folks had one, and he let me drive it when he first bought it. And I went, man, this is really fun little car, So especially yeah. for San Diego. Best shifter ever. Yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah, very short shift. It was right there where your hand reached it. It was perfect. Well, how about seller's remorse? Is there a vehicle you've let go that you wish you had back in your garage? Yeah, this is going to sound ridiculous, but... Other than that, I I had a I had a Honda Accord that you know if I needed another Honda Accord, getting another Honda Accord wouldn't be too difficult. But I spent more than ten years as an auto journalist driving free cars, so I was kind of ping ponging between vehicles I was reviewing. So I never really had the opportunity to acquire and dispose of cars kind of during that time. So my current car is a 1995 911 and 993. And I don't. I when I bought it, I thought that I paid too much for it three years ago. <laughs> Not anymore. Yeah, and so now I don't have seller's remorse so much as you know. When do I sell this? Because the values have kind of gone nuts. Yeah. And will I feel remorse if I do? You will. So I'll tell you right now: don't sell it. Yeah, exactly. I've kept it. And yeah. I drove it away, and I just said, you know what, like. If I sell it, I'm just going to have to get another one. Right. No, don't let it go. Then I had a 993 as well. Mine was a 98, and they're just wonderful cars. So uh, don't let it go. Keep it. If you have any inclination, call me, and I'll remind you, don't sell <laughs> the 993. <laughs> Porsche has just put out a new vintage-looking navigation system uh, with a touchscreen that they're selling. So I just ordered it, and I can't wait to, to actually install it because it actually looks like an old radio, but it's got... Bluetooth, it's got an iPod connection, 
It has a touchscreen. It's got navigation. It's got Sirius XM, but it looks like an old radio. It's very, very cool. Yeah, I've seen that part of their classic uh, operations there that they have, and I've thought about putting that in my 87 Turbo uh, to have something that you know I can run newer stuff off of, but doesn't you don't cut up the dash or anything or mess up with the car. So very nice. Well, how about current projects? Tell me what you're doing these days. What you're working on? What, what has you excited and fired up? I think the the really exciting thing about working at FAF is that we have so many brands that we represent, and you know every day is kind of different. So one day you might be trying to figure out how to sell more Corollas, uh, and the next day you might be organizing a trip for 10 people to go over to the McLaren factory to see where their cars are built and then go to the Top Gear test track to drive around it. So there are a lot of really, really great things that we've got on the go. We're really building out kind of the motorsport part of our company as as a business. We're selling BMW race parts now. We are a McLaren GT partner, so we're going to be hopefully very soon, selling McLaren race cars. So that's pretty exciting. But probably the thing that I you know, am most excited about because I'm an old 911 guy is we have uh, a relationship with Singer Vehicle Design where we're their Canadian agent. And just about the coolest thing I've done with Singer so far is just before Christmas, I actually went down uh, to California and helped tear apart our first donor car. Mm. So I've been kind of, you know, they send very regular updates uh, as the car progresses through the stages of its restoration. So right now, uh, you know, they're dry fitting the carbon fiber body panels onto it. And I'm actually going to go back in August and work on the car some more. Oh, so wow. I love the fact that we have this, you know, really, really amazing relationship with Singer. Uh, I love the restoration work that they do. And, you know, it's sort of, for me, kind of a combination of the best of both worlds working on an old Porsche that's also a new Porsche. Oh man, I'm jealous. Yeah, I uh, had Rob as a guest here on Cars yeah, a while back and and uh yeah, when my lottery numbers come in, I I always write the word singer on a lottery ticket when I buy one, which is pretty rare, but you and me both. <laughs> yeah, I always think, you know, that little bit of hope and dream thing, that's where I'm going to go first is I'm calling Rob, having build me a car. Wow, very cool. Well, you guys are having some fun down there. It's very exciting to be a, a distributor for Singer. That's great. But all the other great brands that you guys handle, absolutely fantastic. Now, here's a very introspective question for you, Lawrence. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? Well, it's interesting. Uh, somebody, a friend of mine, asked me this a long time ago and actually I, I I described my car for you. It's just you know silver ninety five Carrera two and I kind of joke that that's kind of the car that I would be because you know in a lot of ways I think it represents me really well. It's it's small and I'm kind of small uh, and it's kind of goofy looking and <laughs> I'm kind of goofy looking. It's capable of maybe some surprising feats when asked and so am i if i you know decide i really want to throw myself at something and you know it may not be the case now but it certainly was three years ago it's also an accurate representation of kind of what i can afford mm -hmm. you know for 10 years uh, i drove everything under the sun and it was kind of fun to be able to you know wear a different set of clothes every week mm -hmm. and then for six years i drove 
Uh, I daily drove horses that I couldn't afford. I was driving a brand new 911 or Cayman or Cayenne every six months that I had specced myself, you know, nice. as a company, uh, which was awesome. But, you know, you always felt kind of a little weird and that, you know, you were dressing up as somebody that you weren't. Mm. Whereas I like my car because it's mine mm -hmm. and it's not perfect and it's got scratches and it's got dents and, you know, but, but it sort of is what it is. So I, that's probably as much as anything, the reason I would never want to get rid of it because it feels like me. <laughs> perfect answer. You did a, a great job with that question that can sometimes stump people a little bit. And by the way, we share something. I'm a 911 too. When I was asked that question, when I was interviewed for Cars, yeah, by my son, Blake, that's mm -hmm. how I answered the question. So we share something there, Lawrence. <laughs> Very that's cool. Awesome. I like it. Well, Lawrence, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars, yeah, sponsors. Hey, Cars, yeah, listeners, I have a question. What's the best way to protect your vehicle, both the exterior and the interior? It's with a car cover. I've been using Covercraft car covers since 1975. It's the fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. Covercraft is the world's largest manufacturer of custom patterned vehicle covers, and they are crafted to fit like a custom suit, with over 80,000 patterns available. And they're made in the USA. But Covercraft is much more than car covers. Their vehicle protection system protects your cars, motorcycles, watercrafts, and RVs, exteriors from the elements and the interiors from the wear and tear of daily life car covers front end masks dash covers seat covers floor mats and much much more covercraft offers you a full array of custom accessories made specifically for and styled to complement and protect your special vehicle covercraft is the right choice i use them on all my vehicles and your special vehicles will love them too learn more today at covercraft.com and you can get free shipping when you use the code at checkout, Cars Yeah. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people, but what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253 722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, Finra Sipic. Okay, Lawrence, we are back and we're entering the last lap. And I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers so are you ready i'm ready what's the best automotive advice you've ever received this is from magnus walker who tamir <laughs> one of your previous guests actually introduced me to mm -hmm. and he hashtags it all over his stuff and it's just get out and drive yes yeah magnus was my uh 100th guest here on cars yeah met him down at the works reunion great guy mm -hmm. a great uh porsche guy and of course having tamir on who introduced me to you, who shot Urban Outlaw for Magnus, is pretty neat the way the whole circle of friends here of all of us Porsche lovers have come back together. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success over the years? 
Yeah, I think, you know, going back to the not having had any training at any of this, uh, I've found that it's just better to get things done than to get, you know, than to wait for them to get done perfectly. Uh, you learn a lot from your mistakes. Yep. And I fail probably as often as I succeed, but that contributes to my success. Good for you. Failure is awesome because it always, always teaches you something. The great Nikki Lauda once said in a speech, I learn a lot more from the races that I haven't won than the ones I've won. How about a resource? Is there one out there that you think the Cars Yeah listeners would really enjoy? That's a tough one. I mean, you know, my favorite car website is actually a humorous website called Sniff Petrol. Ah, yeah. Um, I don't know if you've ever come across it, but I've actually actually met Richard Porter, who writes it. uh, And I just think it's just a hilarious kind of take on the business. And if for, for anybody that reads a lot of automotive writing his sort of way of making fun of it is amazing the other favorite websites that i go to a lot are jalopnik also because it has a great sense of humor mm-hmm. and i love car design news because if it wasn't going to be writing uh designing cars was going to be my thing and that's something that i still sort of hang on to a little bit now i sit on a panel for the local school humber college and their industrial design program working with automotive design students and that's that's a website i love fantastic now how about a book is there a book that you've read that you think the cars out listeners should crack open and read as well have you ever come uh listen to steve matchett give commentary on formula one Yes. He, uh, back when Speed Channel used to be Speed Channel or Speed Vision, I used to love listening to him. And he wrote a book called The Chariot Makers, which is essentially about a conversation that he and the technical directors for four different Formula One teams had late at night in an airport lounge when their flight was canceled. And it is essentially 350 pages of these people talking about what it would take to make the perfect Formula One car and the perfect Formula One team. Of course, Steve Matchett was a number one mechanic for uh, Benetton. That's right. Back in the day. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that is an awesome book. It, It really is an interesting dialogue amongst all these enthusiasts and experts in the field to go, you know, what would it take? Yeah. To make that, yeah. that perfect car. So no, it's the first time that book's been recommended here. I'm kind of surprised, but it is a great book. It's far away my, my favorite car book. And the other book that I've got on the go now, which is actually, it's a few years old, but because I was just recently, you know, doing this stuff with Humber, uh, it's a book called H point, uh, which is written by, Two guys named Stuart Macy and Jeff Wardle, who are transportation design instructors. And it's about basic car packaging, how big a space you need to fit a person in and how much space an engine requires and how to put it all together into something that's kind of an appealing design. Awesome. Well, two great books. Listeners, you can find these books listed on Lawrence's uh, show notes page here at carsyad.com. Just type in Lawrence, L-A-U-R-A-N-C-E, into the search bar. That page will pop up with links to these books for quick clicks to buy. There's another great place on the Cars yeah website called Guest Recommended Books, where all the past 500-plus guest books are listed for quick, easy clicks to buy. Get your hands on both these books. They're great. All right, we are up to the checkered flag. Real interested how you're going to answer this question. I like to call it a real doozy. 
if you could have one collector car in your garage, I'll buy you whatever car you'd like today. Money's no object. I'm the big lottery winner today, and I'm going to share it with you. What would that one vehicle be and why? You know, we've talked about it a lot before, but I can't think of a car I would rather have in my one-car garage than a Porsche 911 restored by Singer. To me, it's like I love the vintage look. Uh, I love the smell of old 911s. I love the goofy seating position. I love everything about them. They're tough enough and easy enough to see out of that you can drive them every day. And, you know, if money's no object, the level to which Singer executes everything, I think, is, is fabulous. Once again, we share something, Lawrence. That's how I answered that question. I want a, a Singer built to my specifications, too. So uh, we definitely have a lot in common here. I, I think the, the alternative to that uh, would be, you know, it's actually a very interesting story as well. It's another Brit that is in L.A., that is doing some very interesting kind of restoring and modifying. It's um, a company called Icon, uh, and they make Ford Broncos and uh, Toyota FJ Cruiser restorations, kind of at the same level as Singer does with Porsches. Yes. And that would be, you know, my, my ideal two-car garage would be uh, an Icon Bronco and a Singer that had uh, a 911 restored by Singer. Jonathan Ward has been a guest. In fact, he was a very early guest here on Cars, yeah? The uh, founder of uh, Icon. He builds some absolutely spectacular things. He's always innovative, always comes doing something new. He's got these new kind of 30s, 40s cars, or 40s cars, really, that have a nice patina that he does all the underpinnings to. So, uh, yeah, you picked two pretty expensive cars for me to buy for you. So You did say, you did say money, no odds. I know I did, didn't I? Well... That's the way it goes. But I think I'm going to stick with the singer today. And you can go buy your own icon. But, uh, yeah, Jonathan's cars are pretty darn special. Great taste you have, Lawrence. You've taken me on an awesome ride today. I've really enjoyed your stories. And I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yeah listeners and with me. Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that singer? Oh, boy. I, yeah, I, you know, I, I kind of go back to the... Get, get out there and drive. Uh, I find that it is actually a cure for a lot of a lot that ails me. If I need to clear my head, if I'm not feeling that well, if I have a lot on my mind, uh, getting in the car and just going for a spin, whether uh, you know just running around town or, or getting out you know, onto, onto the open road, really, really helps clear my clear my brain. I think you're right. You know, I guess I had on two days ago was Tom Larson, and Tom does a great thing with our military veterans who are challenged with a post-traumatic stress disorder. He takes them on five-day motorcycle rides, and he's found that it completely allows them to clear their mind, to not have to think about all the things that are weighing them down. In the evenings, they sit around with other veterans and talk about what they're facing and how they're going to get over it. And uh, it's that he found that that getting out on the road and driving just clears your mind. You've got to focus, especially on a motorcycle, Uh, but even in a car or race car. I always enjoyed that with vintage racing is you couldn't think about anything else. And when I rode motorcycles, same thing. You can't think about anything else. So uh, you're great. Get out and drive. I love it. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and what you're doing? Oh, boy. Um, 
I do, you know, I think most of what I do now, I'm very fortunate that my work and my passion kind of align. I will refer you to fafauto.com, P-F-A-F-F-A-U-T-O.com. You know, we have an Instagram account. We've got Facebook accounts for all of our businesses. And, you know, one of my other major hobbies is uh, car photography. So I have an Instagram account that is just... Uh, Lawrence Yap, my first name, my last name, no spaces. And ironically, I got into photography because in the early 90s, Giugiaro designed a camera. And I had to have that camera, which was the Nikon F4, and I've been kind of shooting cars ever since. So yeah. I, I owe that hobby to cars as well. Isn't that funny? Yeah, Giugiaro, uh, you designed the Volkswagen Scirocco, if I'm not. And I had my first brand new car was a 79 Scirocco. So uh kind of kind of cool. He's designed a number of uh a number of Nikon cameras. Uh and I my other camera which I long since retired because it's like a 1.8 megapixel thing uh was uh, an FA Porsche design actually. So. Ah, yeah. Okay, very cool. Yep. I had one yeah. of those as well, but yeah, they're kind of useless now. So uh they're just nice shelf art. Well, listeners, you can find links to everything that Lawrence has been so kind to share today on his very own show notes page at carsyad.com. Just type Lawrence in the search bar, L-A-U-R-A-N-C-E, and that page will pop up with quick, easy links. Check out the website. Check out FAF. Uh, check out his Instagram account. See what he's up to. I think you'll be very happy. Lawrence, thanks for being so generous today with your time and your expertise, and for sharing your experiences with me and with the Cars Yow listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thanks, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!